Ryan Stanton here with ASEP Frontline and um, uh, what's becoming a 2017 regular for the uh, for the ASEP Frontline podcast are uh, Jacob and Ben. Um, since last time we talked at uh, Tennessee ASEP, Jacob has now made the move up to uh, Tennessee and uh, soon Ben is otherwise still holding down the fort in uh, Chattanooga, making sure Georgia behaves themselves and and doesn't decide to creep up a little bit too far. And um, they're here with me at uh, Die Smack, and a very interesting topic. Um, and it's, um, I think it's one of the newer evolutions of the point of care ultrasound movement. Um, you know, probably not for them, but for most of us in, in community medicine uh, that aren't the uh, aren't so professional and, and so expertise at uh, bedside ultrasound, and that's the use for the airway, the airway ultrasound. And so, I wanted to grab them and talk about that because um, nothing is easier than grabbing folks that uh, all live within 200 miles of each other in the United States in while in Berlin, Germany. So. Um, 5,000 miles from home, and um, we're going to bring you some uh, Southern charm here. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks uh, thanks a lot uh, for joining me and give me uh, a lowdown. And since we're on the focused version of the mic because of the surround sounds here, um, we'll start with you, Jacob. Uh, give us an idea about where this uh, talk um, came from and some of the goals here at Smack. Sure. So the where the topic came from is actually it was just assigned to me. Um, so that, that was a thought process with that. Um, now, as far as the airway stuff, it's very interesting, like just ultrasound stuff in general, um, because a lot of the stuff in ultrasound was actually already done in the 80s, and then we kind of forgot about it, and then all of a sudden we started doing it again. That's actually what happened with airway. There was a good amount of studies in the 80s, um, and there was this lull for about 20 years, and then more recently, like the past, I want to say 10 years, there's been just a huge resurgence of uh, literature on this topic, and it's pretty good literature, actually. We've had enough to have a couple of uh, meta-analyses, in fact, um, that all show really good results, and what we do uh, is we basically just stick the probe on the lateral part of the neck and look to see if you get uh, that tube in the trachea or if you get that tube in the esophagus. Uh, what I like about it is that with residents, um, maybe paramedic students, you know, maybe nurses uh, that might be intubating, uh, if I don't know how their skills, I can know in real time if that tube is even touching the esophagus. I can tell right away or if it's in the trachea uh, without any kind of uh, bag, you know, because with the color change, you have to actually... Mm-hmm. You know, do some BVMs that could cause issues if they're in the stomach. You know, they they might vomit, aspirate at that point, just with one or two bags. Um, so it's kind of nice because you don't have to do anything. You can know that it's in the trachea or know that it's in the esophagus. Just kind of nice. And you guys have done. Um, if you want more information on it, I've actually I think seen you guys did a more extensive podcast on this on on your own podcast, and um, I watched it and uh, thought it was is fascinating. It seemed like the the with the sensitivity for the esophagus is actually pretty incredible as something that you don't typically visualize that much and then all of a sudden you get a tube to nice uh to nice uh, dilate that out so uh, ben what are some of the um what are some of the skills and and takeaways from ultrasound benefit versus standard current standard in most uh, facilities where we go in there and um, just as Jacob was mentioning, we bag a few times with entitle, or excuse me, with the uh, color metric change, and hope that we haven't been a bag valve max, uh, masking the patient for 20 minutes, and now have a uh, an old faithful passage for all the vomit to shoot out all over the room. Well, certainly, um, that's that's probably the biggest point is that uh, you're not going to insufflate the stomach un- unnecessarily. Uh, of course, if you're at a shop that has like video laryngoscopy and you can see that tube passing through the cords, that's going to probably be 
better than anything else. Um, but if you have ultrasound, don't have VL, and you're just doing direct laryngoscopy, you want to confirm placement, especially if the, you know for a training program, you're not the one actually looking in the airway, and you've got somebody doing direct laryngoscopy, placing an airway, are you able to confirm pretty quickly? Um, and it's interesting, you, it's kind of like, this is sort of like thinking outside the box because we always think ultrasound and air don't mix. Like you can't see a, you know, an air-filled structure with ultrasound. Well, that's actually why it works. So you're actually looking at the esophagus, which normally is not filled with air. And then if you tube the goose, you see air in it. And so that's how you know that you've uh, misplaced the tube. And so that's, that's the nice thing about it. And that's one of the things you're looking for is I think uh, the technique, a lot of people are thinking about the fact you're throwing the probe on the anterior aspect of the neck, but that's not the approach we're looking at. Yeah, so you, a lot of the studies actually talk about placing in the supersternal notch, but what we've been doing lately, and I like it, and it, it works better for me than the supersternal notch for you, is we actually will go lateral, um, because often the esophagus is actually going to be behind the trachea, and since you know you have this air-filled structure, it's, you're not going to be able to visualize anything behind it, but if you go lateral, um, you will be able to see that air-filled trachea and the esophagus, which that's what I like knowing. I, know, I like knowing exactly where the esophagus is at all times, and you can only do that by placing the probe lateral. And it doesn't matter. So most of the time, the esophagus is supposed to be on the left. I've not really seen that in my experience. It's usually behind it or a little bit to the right. But if you place it on the right lateral neck, you will be able to see it most of the time. And I noticed you've uh, got yourself a bruise on the uh, bicep. Did uh, Ben get upset at some of your education? Yes, uh, he did. Uh, these are definitely defense wounds. Um, but we've talked it through, uh, and we've had a pretty amicable divorce after that. Yeah, that, that three centimeter bruise on his bicep, that's actually my entire fist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you haven't seen any of their, their education, that's one of the best things about that with uh, these two gentlemen and a couple of other cohorts. Their education is uh, you get some entertainment as well as the uh, education aspect. What are, what are some of the other um, important aspects and things we can do when approaching the neck? I think many of us, I mean, if you're really into just basic ultrasound, your extent, your, the extent of your um, the extent of your education and knowledge is, you know, for the IJ purposes and or looking for uh, Doppler flow and, and when you're doing resuscitation efforts and things like that. But, you know, the, the, the neck is a wealth of knowledge. And, and, and other than just that airway up there, um, what, are those, what are some of the other things that we can uh, get out of, of deciding, you know, when we're taking care of a patient of, of getting out that ultra, uh, ultrasound machine and, and, and throwing it on there? Well, you had mentioned, uh, of course, for, you know, central line access using the IJ. There's also at least one or two studies um, that show that you, looking at the IJ um, during uh, while someone's getting a respiratory, um, you know, on a, on a ventilator can actually sort of help you estimate the central venous pressure and whether or not they're going to need fluid. And so that, that's called the IJ distensibility index, and that's also useful. Another thing I was going to mention, of course, in the neck is uh, it's a, there's a lot of places that you can do nerve blocks um, up high in the neck for you know, interscaling block, uh, or even if you're going to do like, for instance, just a central line, you can do what's called a superficial cervical plexus block. And it's a really simple, very accessible block with, with low complication rate. And uh, Jacob's uh, probably the best person to describe that actually. Yeah. So like Ben said, it's pretty easy. I mean, you, uh, find the lateral border of the sternocleidomastoid muscle, uh, about halfway between the, uh, mastoid and the clavicle. Uh, and you just put 10, 15 cc's of just plain lidocaine, uh, into that potential space. It's like the fascial plane right underneath the muscle. You're not identifying a specific nerve because it's just a plexus that you're getting. Um, and it actually numbs from the angle of the jaw to the ear down to the clavicle. So it's a, it's great for IJs because it doesn't, I don't know about you, Ben, but, uh, often what happens to me is I'll anesthetize in one space 
specific area, and then my suture will be in a different area, and that typically hurts when they're awake. But if you do that SCP block, it's one injection, and the whole neck is numb. And it works for amazing things. Like we've done complex ear lacerations. I, I did a. Uh, um, what do you call those? Uh, periricular hematomas. I did one of those just with that one shot in the neck, completely numbed it. He didn't need anything. It works really well for clavicle fractures. Those are kind of difficult to control the pain for, and they work for clavicle fractures as well. So a hugely uh, beneficial procedure and very easy. I find it's, uh, you know, it's, I think these are incredible, but you guys have covered these uh, on your podcast. So uh, where are some of the sources that folks can visualize because most of, of your stuff, your education is actually visual, the video type. And, um, you know, I, it, it hasn't been banned in, you know, so far that I know of by law. So I watch many of your podcasts while driving to work and, uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, for better or worse, but, um, where are some of those sources for, because uh, I, I doubt you're going to, in many places, especially community medicine, you're probably not going to have a champion that is used to airway-related ultrasound or, or many of the nerve blocks um, associated with ultrasound. What are the sources, um, not only your podcasts, but, um, but also uh, other sources uh, that are available as well? So, you know, if, if you're just sort of first learning and wanting to just know purely the mechanics of it, I think Jacob's website is fantastic, 5-Minute Sano. And if you want to do an SCP block, you can go on there and within five minutes have a just a down and dirty, you know, like what are the mechanics of doing the block. Um, also, Highland Ultrasound is fantastic for nerve blocks. Um, NY Sora is kind of like the, the first place that guided okay, this online. It's an anesthesia group. Their website, it's a lot of text, so it's not video. Um, but they're uh, just a veritable like wealth of all the nerve blocks on there. That's actually where I kind of got my start is on NY Sora. And I think the five-minute uh, sauna is a fantastic uh, opportunity to have there. You're sitting there at work and, you know, want to want to be able to, to find that out and uh, um, get that information. You have a little bit of downtime or you have a little bit of break or you have that case where you think it would be beneficial. Uh, because I think, I really do think, uh, being an, a relative novice comparative to the three folks at this table, um, that, um, that the nerve blocks... You know, especially dealing with the opioid crisis in the United States, and you know, and I think it'll spread even you know further as time moves on. You know, I think the nerve blocks are a great opportunity to reach that you know prolonged analgesia in difficult patients in difficult locations um, without the exposure, the high risk potential exposure. And one of my favorite things, uh, patients was um, somebody came into the emergency department. Family member uh, had had uh, a fall with a significant uh, fracture that was one that can't be immobilized and fortunately um, their uh, family member was an interventional pain specialist and uh, luckily even more luckily was uh, was actually credentialed at the facility and uh, was able to put perform a block right there and it managed the pain throughout the visit uh, to where uh, I didn't have to do anything else one other uh, pain medication intervention and then we would had time to talk about and it's it's one of those things that if you if you control that pain initially, control that discomfort, um, if you have to reduce it or getting that initial break, then it's much easier to manage. I mean, I think all of us realize as physicians, it's easier to keep, it's easier to maintain um, analgesia than it is to catch up to uncontrolled analgesia. So, um, you know, I think that's important to learn. And I understand that Castle Fest this year was an incredible success and as usual and much more exercise than I'm interested in when it comes to uh, going to talk, I mean, going to uh, opportunities. It's much more, I'm much more the Das Smack kind of uh, person where uh, the beer starts flowing a little after lunchtime. And, um, but uh, gentlemen, 
I, I really appreciate the time. This is one that I saw you guys uh, on the schedule and uh, kind of threw you in here and, and pulled you in at the last moment to uh, um, to talk with us and, and folks on ASAP Frontline. So uh, contact. How can folks get in touch uh, with you? Website. Uh, mention the uh, podcast apps and website, that sort of thing again, as well as social media. Yeah, so uh, my kind of information, it just, it's on my website, but you can go to, uh, on Twitter, it's at 5insano, number 5, M-I-N-S-O-N-O. It's also that at gmail.com. And so my website is ultrasoundoftheweek.com, and you can find me on Twitter at ultrasoundjelly. Yeah, so fantastic information. If you have not, I mean, I feel like at this point that uh, we've hammered um, point-of-care ultrasound and, and emergency um, ultrasound on this podcast and, and others. And so if you haven't made that step yet, you need to because you're getting left behind. And we're getting to the point now, if that's not enough motivation for you, it is now becoming standard of care for a lot of things that we do. So um, if that, that should motivate you enough to think about those billboards around your town that uh, talk about the lawyer that can't wait for you to make a mistake. So um, get, get out there, get that information. These two gentlemen um, have uh, fantastic information fantastic sources and not to mention they're uh, pretty entertaining as well especially um, when Jacob's had enough sleep um, which uh, if you haven't experienced that then listen to our last ASAP uh, Frontline podcast from uh, Tennessee ASAP when I think he took a little nap halfway through the uh, discussion as for me uh, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com and at everydaymed on Twitter until next time I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton and this has been some ASAP Frontline <laughs>